0: Okay, we're live. It's live. All right. Welcome everybody to Richard Sylvester and Tim Freak chatting non-duality. And I just happen to have both of their books here: Soul Story from Tim Freak and Confessions of a Seeker uh, from Richard Sylvester. So those are their latest books. And maybe uh, just give you both an opportunity to any plugs or anything you want to mention at the beginning. But no. what you have, yeah, anything coming up? Uh, talks, uh, retreats, books? Yes. Anything. Fine, yeah. <laughs> All right, got, uh, Tim, I've, why don't you go first?
1: i I've, I've uh, Since you've invited me, Walter, I actually have. I don't do them very often now, but we have a retreat, which we've run every year over New Year. And it's a beautiful time to go deep. So we run it on the 30th, 31st and the 1st, and it's in Glastonbury, UK, and there are still a few places left. And uh, I think it's a a way of bringing, you will not forget it. That's for sure.
2: And Richard. Yes. um, In January, there should be in-person London meetings and possibly some Zoom meetings coming up in the new year. It's a long time since I've done a Zoom meeting. And the only other plug is that excellent book that... uh, Walter just held up Confessions of a Seeker, that is my confession of 30 or more years spent, well spent or misspent, I'm not quite sure which, as a uh, spiritual seeker following many paths, but it's got quite a lot more in it than that as well. A bit of stuff on consciousness and uh, quite a lot of stuff about religion, so... And a few readers have thought that it was very funny as well. Excellent.
0: actually, yeah, And I'm we, one of uh, <laughs> them.
1: The, the, the other thing to mention perhaps at the start is just, actually I do the stuff online every week with a little group of people who are interested. I'll do it later tonight um, on uh, every Sunday. So that's a, that's a regular connection I love. Excellent. Oh, and uh, Richard,
0: did you hit the record button on your end there? I did. and it Okay, tells you, and so, we're, so sorry. we're all recording. Great, so uh, this will be available to watch uh, on any of our three channels, so um, <laughs> it'll be out there and it's out there now. So I thought just to get started, uh, maybe Tim could share and Richard, uh, you know, as to the origins of this I didn't want to, I don't know if I should call it a debate. I mean, it's a conversation, but I think there are some um, critiques of perhaps the other's uh, teachings or message or something to that effect. So maybe Tim could clarify that for the folks at home.
1: Well, I think the origin probably was that um, I got to see Richard who I hadn't had the chance to talk to for very many years and As the older I get, the more I kind of, I I think it's being too influenced by Socrates, really. I'm just fascinated by what people believe, how well it holds together, and how they've ended up there. And so I just found myself asking questions. And I I think what really happened with Richard and I was I just asked a lot of questions. And then when there's an answer, there's usually another question. And when there's an answer, there's usually another question to try and get to the real hub of what's actually um where Richard had got to since the last time I saw him and and was aware that where I'd ended up was quite different to the last time that I saw him um and that led to a conversation and then from what I heard Richard said oh later that we should it was a shame it wasn't filmed and i would I take part in a conversation with you
2: online and here I am
0: fantastic
2: anything you'd like to add to
0: that Richard
2: uh, yeah that's absolutely the um genesis of this meeting i think um i i met tim in glastonbury uh at the wonderful blue note cafe and um there was a session in which he i would say he questioned me pretty intensely about (laughs) my take on uh non-duality and then when he left uh dawn garland was also there And when he left almost the first thing, or one of the first things that I said to Dawn, I turned to her and said it was a real shame that we did not have the video camera with us, because I feel it would have made a very sort of exciting um, live event. Um, I think the phrase um, non-duality cage fighting might have quickly passed through my mind. I'm not too sure. <laughs> um, and so this uh, obviously is not the same. Um But this seemed to be about as good as we could get if we set this up and just see how it went. And hopefully it may be interesting to some people because, you know, I think we have um, different views that will become apparent if it's not already so. And so let's just
0: see where it goes. Fantastic. And um, so we're live on YouTube. Anyone that has a question, just type in question and then your question. That'll help me because sometimes (laughs) people on YouTube, they argue amongst each other and there are random comments. And just to help me sift through that, just type in question, then your question, and I'll read it out loud anonymously and make it a part of the show. Uh, But my first question was about uh, this. I remember listening to Tim say that Mr. Ghanada's statement about you are not a person. And this whole idea of no self, and that to me was pretty powerful. And but I'm also hearing that it can have some destabilizing, depersonalization, loss of interest, and when when um, that is heard i don't know how to say it in the wrong way or maybe maybe people are being gaslit into thinking they're not a person i don't know what's going on but i think it's i think that meant a lot to you at least at one point and so maybe you could tell us about what how you feel about this uh, no self
1: okay yeah so so first i just want to say how much i'm enjoying the fact that as i'm looking here at richard coming out of his head is a copy of i am that by which was the very book which uh, definitely led to that. So I came across I Am That um, when it wasn't available in this country, only in India, I had to send away for it, um, and then bought it for all my friends because I just blew my mind. Um, uh, so this is in my 20s. Um, um, and there was one phrase where he... Uh, says, um, you've confined yourself to the size of a body and the span of a lifetime, undeceive yourself and be free. You are not a person. And the line, you are not a person seems such an outrageous statement at the time. I felt like he'd nailed me to the floor because it was a fundamental assumption that I was a person. And there is this guy going, you're not a person. And, uh, that led me to a particular experience, um, on the journey where I was, uh, I was actually a musician at the time, I was running a recording studio, we were recording me in the studio, there was a glitch, the music was just going round on a loop and I started repeating, I am not a person, I'm not not a person, to this rhythm. And then suddenly I wasn't. And it was an extraordinary experience that headed me off to India and all sorts. So the thing that's changed for me, Walter, is I think that experience was really important for me. Um, it was a very interesting, um, um, but what was interesting looking, what is, what is notable looking back is that it came with an interpretation, which I had got from Nisgadatta and then from the other non-dual teachers I was exploring with. And what's happened to me over the last 10 years, maybe a bit more is that I've come to the a lot of ideas have have turned around so now when I look at the experience I still see it as important I still see it as interesting but I don't see it th- I don't understand it in the way that I did and that's been a major shift and that's because there's I mean I won't go into them now because I want a conversation but th- th- there's been a shift in my understanding of the nature of consciousness that's been fundamental there's been a shift in my understanding of what you could call epistemology how we know things From this idea that you just know rather than it's kind of that somehow there's a direct knowing which is not to do with ideas and that therefore non-dual experiences are self-validating they 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 are you don't need to interpret them they interpret themselves all of which now i think is epistemologically naive and 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 that's led to a re-evaluation of how we understand identity um and and the nature of what we mean by things like the self and just to start us off here, just because it's not, you know, I, I come across a lot of people who do have been psychologically um, damaged by non-duality, but I, I haven't been at all. And also, you know, in fairness, people can, you know, in, I meet people who have the same thing with Christianity or with with Buddhism or there's lot, you know, it's possible to to find the dark place in anything. So I'm not here to attack it as somehow... Um, a bad thing merely to say, Oh, I saw it like this, and now that doesn't seem good enough anymore. And now I see it like this, and it feels a lot if it not feels, it just is for me an awful lot better and more
0: coherent and leads to a more interesting experience. Thank you, Richard. Anything, uh, about no self and you're not a person, or responding to anything Tim had to say there? Well, I'll start with Mr.
2: Goddard. Um, Mm -hmm. I think. The title, you know, I Am That, I love the title. I think it just, you know, sums everything up in a way that I might be here to talk about and, you know, in a way I could shut down at this moment and just leave it at that. I Am That, it's a sort of perfect expression. As to the book, I read it a long time ago. Um, I think it's very confusing. I think it's contradictory in part and I think it's got wonderful things in it um, as well. Um, so, you know, that would be my starting point with that. Um, for me, uh, I suppose in a way, my response comes from a kind of, you know, a very deep sense that um, my, I'm looking for the word, I think I use the word addiction. I was going to say the word interest, but the, the word addiction when it fell upon me. Of non-duality, even though I understood very little about it, in a way it was stunningly obvious that it had nothing to do with me. I mean, I'd been a passionate spiritual seeker for many years. I'd followed gurus. I'd done innumerable techniques. I'd been um, involved in transpersonal psychotherapies. I I was a trainer and I trained people in transpersonal approaches to counselling and therapy. I was very, very, very deeply involved. I came across non-duality. I won't go into the story of how it involved a few coincidences, but I've talked about it other places. And I think I could say I came across, came away from my um, first encounter, experiencing an incredibly deep yawn Um, It was actually a meeting with Tony Parsons. I quite liked Tony, but I had absolutely no interest in what he was saying. And also, I would say probably zero understanding of it as well. I thought, oh, well, that was a nice afternoon out. I won't do that again. And then the second time I came across it, which was probably two or three years later. And again, it was a meeting of Tony Parsons that I'd been persuaded to go along to by some nice people on the kind of promise that they'd be drinking and eating and partying afterwards. So I thought, well, it's worth sitting through this dreary nonsense for that. And so I went along and I just can't explain it. I still didn't understand anything about it, but I was completely hooked on a level which clearly had to me clearly had very little to do with the mind. Um, and I just stayed hooked And I also stayed um, uncomprehending for a long time. Uh, A lot of what was said made me angry and I'd ask lots and lots of questions and then I'd go away and feel angry again. And this just went on for a long time. I can't explain what the addiction was, clearly on some, and I, I, I I think I mean it both in the way that non-dual speakers often say, when they say it clearly obviously had nothing to do with me. But I also mean that on a kind of more normal psychological and characterological basis that it kind of really had nothing to do with me. And, you know, I just kind of went on like that until that stopped. And here we are now. And there was kind of stuff in between those two apparent points in time, which... I'm not going to bore you with right now. Um, As to what Tim said, I think one of our problems is, you see, I think that um, uh, Tim is approaching this, um, you know, from a philosophical uh, perspective, from an analysis of language, of thought, ideas, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, cetera, and um, I'm not. (laughs) No, I think that's completely wrong, Richard okay well so i think that's completely wrong i think
1: i think that 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 is that is a caricature of it i think you know because the experiential i mean i've just talked about an experience the experiential journey has been absolutely the center for me the question then becomes how do you understand the experiences you're having do you just accept the way that they're portrayed to you by the person that you happen to be listening to, because that's what I see happening a lot. I see people convinced they're having a non-conceptual, non-ideational experience, which they are actually having. They're having a totally ideational experience. They're convinced they're not because they're not reflective enough to notice. So they are having a, a, they have been talked into a way of seeing something that they think is um, self-evident So the whole transformation for me in this area came when I realized I did that for years. And when I looked at what is arguably, I think, my best book, Lucid Living, because it's so short and concise, in which I laid out my approach to oneness or non-duality. It's still not quite non-duality, but it's close enough. And realized that I was presenting it as if I had these arguments. I thought they were great. Well, not arguments, they're pointing out exercises, you know, that bang, I've got it. As if there was nothing, the mind wasn't involved, like you said, but it was. It's just, I wasn't reflective enough to see that. And once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. And what's astonished me is how difficult it is for people to see it. Because once you see it, it's absolutely obvious. And I can give you examples that I've done. I'm not saying you've done this, but I have done through the years, which which were not obvious to me, where I felt I was was revealing something self-evident, but it wasn't. It, it actually wasn't. Uh, it was actually being, um, that people were being fed into it. And that doesn't mean it's wrong. It could still be right. It just means let's acknowledge that. And let's get rid of this other view that somehow it's in a different ballpark,
2: because it's not. Okay, so what first comes to me about that is that I could, um, would never sit here and say, you know, that I, for example, You know could give people experience of this could take people through exercises which would lead them to this i mean that's the sort of thing that i used to do many many years ago as i said i was involved in the transpersonal psychology movement i was involved as a trainer um uh, the kind of uh, workshops that you do which i think you describe as big love i was involved in many workshops like that both as a participant and as a workshop leader as well Um, I don't see any of that as having any relevance whatsoever to what I'm talking about. And it does make me wonder whether, in a way, we are talking about the same thing or not. I mean, I don't know, and I'm not even sure how that, or even if it's important, that it could be clarified. So that would be a starting point for me. Um, Let me just finish this. In terms of of, uh, my communication about non duality um it has in a way no purpose it's something i do i enjoy doing it some people or no, not vast numbers of people some people seem to enjoy listening to it and they do that and you know we have a conversation we have questions and so forth but there isn't anything at all in me that feels that in doing that i could possibly get anybody anywhere um help them in any way um make it more likely that they might or might not see what non-duality is whatever that phrase uh, means and um one of the things that i remember from our, i don't remember a lot in detail from our conversation in glastonbury but one of the things that i do remember because i think it was the thing that most surprised me about it was i think You know, this is my memory anyway, uh, that at one point you asked me, you know, why I held meetings and communicated about this and so forth. And you seemed genuinely surprised that I didn't say that it's because I wanted to help people. Um, I mean, why I do it in a way, personal motivation is irrelevant to me. I mean, it's just Something that happens, but if I went into personal motivation, I just sum it up as saying, "Well, it's kind of fun on a wet Saturday afternoon. It's you know more interesting than watching football." And I was quite genuinely surprised that you seem to—I don't know—I might be wrong, but for me, you seem to struggle a little bit with you know the concept that I should trudge my way up to London maybe on a wet Saturday afternoon and hold a meeting on non-duality without actually wanting to help people. I mean, it's not that I'm hard and callous and cruel. I mean, maybe I am, but I mean, it's not because of that. It's not that I, you know, don't want to help people. If I saw an old lady struggling with shopping, I hope that I might offer to carry it across the road with her. It's just that, you know, in this particular case, I think the thought that, you know, of anybody helping anybody, um, let's say, see non-duality by giving a talk about it or answering questions about it or writing books about it. To me, it's just a nonsense. I've written four books on non-duality, which is far too many in a way. And um, I'll just finish this bit, you know, by um, saying, you know, insofar as I had any reason for writing them again, it was kind of fun. But the most accurate thing to say is just there was a kind of an energy came up to do that. And so that's what happened. Oh, there's
1: so much that I could sort of pick up on. This is what happened in our conversation, really, uh, Walter, is that Ooh. I'm constantly wondering, going, well, you say that, but what does that mean? And so I think we are talking about the same thing. I think the diff- one of the differences is you see the thing we're talking about as not to do with anything else, whereas I see it to do... To, as completely to do with everything else, and therefore completely engaged with everything that it means to be a human being, and not somehow separate off from that, including the sense that we're in community and that we might help each other. Um, so that's that's just on that. The two things I wanted to pick so up on- So do I. Was, well- So do I, I see it okay. exactly
2: the same Oh, okay, way. well, do in you, that case, we're, that's, that's not the impression I just got from you. So. Well, so let me clarify. I, assume, you know, if we're in community. We help each other. All these things happen. It's just that I don't see the communication of non-duality as a way to help people. You know, I might help an old lady across the road, but I don't give talks on non-duality okay. to help people. No, I, me, I, I, I can,
1: you know, I, I, I don't feel that, but I completely hear what you're saying, and but, but I think there's a general sense where you listed a whole load of things as if. I mean, I don't want to get into a dead end with it with you, but it seemed like you listed, you know, like I'm doing these other things and are we talking about the same thing? And I wanted to go, I think we are. It's just, I would see all of those other things as ways of expressing what arises from these non-dual states. So let's leave that. The the, the two things, one is though, I, I feel like at some point we should just dig into this idea that um, the the meetings in London just happen as if you know you're not organizing them and there's not intentionality and all the rest of it unless you mean you're just unconscious and with most of what i do is unconscious only what i focus on is conscious so i could go you know most of it just happens and you could even say what i'm doing now is just happening because i'm doing it so fast there's no time to reflect on it but there's something to be dug into there about about it and 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 the other thing just to come back on what you said was was i'm not from one minute saying that you do any of these things i i I don't know i've I've not really um heard you speak for a very long time Um, i'm talking about me i did this i see rupert spira do it for instance and and most of the other teachers that i've seen do it with these with pointing out exercises and all the rest um and really what they're doing there is they're going look can you see i mean the classic one is can you see everything's arising in consciousness and um uh and if that's and that's a and that's a that's a that's a claim so then my
2: my question for you then well, this is I what I con- i've just found I, this may be the first point but i think i've just found the first point in which we may be in total agreement great well could I certainly, well, don't but, do, I certainly don't do that i mean i mean to the, me it's a kind of absurdity
1: to do that so 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 this whole conversation between us started uh, not to find areas of disagreement but but actually because I'm always slightly I, I, I have this slight feeling often that I may be more in agreement with other people than they they realize or I realize so it started from when do you well I think the way the conversation started was do you say there is no self and if so what is the self you're denying existence to well, because, because i'm I, sitting with richard so what is the self because we might agree what is this self which doesn't exist because clearly richard does
2: i'll first go back to that thing that you were saying about um rupert Spira, et cetera, etc cetera, etc etc doing pointing exercises and so forth and i'm now slightly concerned that if we stay with that or kind of look at that too closely this might turn into a love fest rather than a debate in which we uh, disagree because i mean I couldn't i'm couldn't. i up for that
1: I, i'm a big love
2: junkie <laughs> yeah but it might get a bit tedious for the people who are watching if anybody is other than walter uh, <laughs> but uh, no t- i'm in total agreement with that um and in although just to it, make sure we, I, I think we're slightly
1: agree. different richard r- with it just to you know to keep the because i think your position on it as i understand it is it's just a waste of time. It's a bad thing. It's rubbish. My position on it is: is that it's not that, or it's not a good. I'd oh, never no. do that. Sorry, I misinterpret you. I don't want to. No, do
2: no, that. no, no. Don't put words like that no, no, in my mouth. No, no, no sorry. it's not that. No, I sorry. don't know. I mean, I've I have a past, as I've already said, of um, taking people and groups through many, many what I would call transpersonal exercises. No, when I, my my critique of it is purely that it, to me, it doesn't have anything. To do with or have any utility with in terms of someone, let's say this very clumsy phrase, seeing non-duality. That's my oh, critique of it. I see. Okay. Whereas my, yes, my, I wouldn't, I wouldn't critique your, I wouldn't make a criticism of your kind of big love um, workshops or or, or so forth. To me, they. I mean, I don't know a lot about them. It seems to me a very valid kind of approach to the transpersonal I would call it and so forth but I don't see anything like that as having anything to do with um certainly not having anything to do with you know the seeing the practical seeing of non-duality
1: okay okay whatever
2: the hell that means that that, that's what well let's find out
1: what the hell that means because you keep saying it so it must mean something and and I would like to know what it means to you, because that, that again gave me the impression wrongly, I'm sure, but gave me the impression that you were saying this thing do, isn't, doesn't involve any of this. Whereas it, it, my, my experience would be my, my situation with say the pointing out exercises is they're fine. Just understand that they are not self-evident. They're, they're absolutely not self-evident. Get that and then point them out. Fine. You're pointing out a way of seeing. Which then someone could evaluate. Try it like this, I, you know, that seems fine to me. But don't go try like this in itself. Validating—that's the problem I have with that.
2: I think there are—I mean, I think there are certain kinds of exercises. I'm thinking here of Douglas Harding, for example. Some of yep. whose I did a workshop with him many, many years ago. And I think you know that exercise like that can have some kind of validity and interest in that they can produce a kind of aha. I mean, I remember, in fact, doing a a very simple Douglas Harding exercise with a group of um, college students once, and one of them in particular, it obviously kind of shook their world quite a, a, a bit in a very, you know, quite an unexpected way. So I think that can have some kind of rattle and shape validity. But again, you know, it doesn't really have much to do or possibly anything to do with what I'm talking about. In okay. So
1: that's the bit we need to
2: understand in London. So
1: there's two questions then that seem important. I mean, uh, let, okay, leave that. The uh, two questions, what do you mean then? What is it you're talking about? And secondly, this thing about the self, are you saying there's no self? And if so, what is the self you are denying? Or are you not, are you saying there is, you're not saying no self? Sorry, sorry. There were two questions there. Yes. I have a very short memory span. Give me one of them, whichever
2: one you want. Let's start
1: for. with the no self one because that's we. Walter started us off with that, with me talking about my. I am not a person. And by the way, Walter, I think it would be helpful before we end for me to go back and explain, I think the two ways that I saw that experience and how they're different. I think that might be interesting to people, but may not relate to Richard because Richard may be talking about something completely different or have a different interpretation. And that's what I'd like to get is so yeah, Richard, do you say there is no self? Is that a thing for you? You're not a person. And if so, what is the self you are denying? I'm
2: quite happy to say there is no self. I'm quite happy to describe this as um, seeing through the person. When I say I'm happy to, I'm happy to within the limitations of language, given that, you know, there's no way that language can even get close to this. You know, that's, you know, this, those phrases are a million miles away, but they're still probably the closest maybe that I feel we can get. So I'm happy enough to say this. Yes, that the, um, I mean, I, I, again, in ill-advised. Precisely, perhaps we have to use words. I use words like awakening and liberation, and I would say that you know what awakening consists of is precisely yes, it's the it is the disappearance of the person. What is so when you say the the person? What does that mean? What does that word refer to? The disappearance. The the disappearance. I mean, I mean here, and I know that. You know, this is true for many, many people, although yeah. I'm sure it's not always the what case. What does it mean, though, the Richard? What the initial opening to this was the complete absence of any sense whatsoever of a human being, a person, a, a body, mind, whatever. Um, so, and, so, so end... yeah, let me just finish this, okay. and yet, everything that. A second before had been arising for the person and seemed to be arising in something mysterious called their consciousness, which is a very unwise phrase to use, was now simply arising. Now, I cannot put it any clearer than that. Okay, no, I, get, I can there's understand. There's no point really pressing me on what that means because that is the, cl- I have put that in the clearest way that uh, I it's can. It's very clear. I got and it. And if it's not clear, it will remain
1: unclear. Yeah, no, I got it. the the thing which i'm interested in is your interpretation of it because um like you said i think these these experiences are very common actually well not very common but they're commonplace, and i'm sure you've had many many of them and i i've certainly been exploring it for so many decades has been all sorts but it it seems to me that so you you have an experience in which suddenly there is no other so if i think about an experience i had i did not have an
2: experience that's this oh, you is didn't have I there wasn't a, okay okay no, because when that was happening richard wasn't there okay so there that's was why i like,
1: always what, okay, no, okay. so what's the experience. language you would like to use then to say you were so there was when you you can't why was it
2: what, i thought i just described it yeah
1: not very well though because now well, because no not because of the words not because of the words Not because of that, because I'm happy to go with any words you want. I just, like, it's, you're going, I'm speaking to Richard now. (laughs) And Richard is saying, I had an experience earlier in my life, which has led me
2: to think that the self is an illusion. No, Richard isn't saying that. Okay. Richard is saying saying there was, there was apparently in this thing called time. Yeah. An experience, if we're going to use that word, where Richard wasn't there and wasn't having the experience
1: okay but when i had an experience well when there was an experience in this flow of time where tim wasn't there that was an experience which i can tell you about and you're having an experience mm. that you can tell me about so I'm how long- having hang on you're know you relating an experience and I can relate an experience so there's some connection there between Tim and Richard and that past experience
2: which is different from your relationship with the experience that I had a few years ago well I'm more interested in the relationship not between Tim and Richard's experience but between let's say Richard sitting here talking about it and again i mean you know i prefer to say that it was a non-experience but it doesn't really matter again it's just language but you know relating back in the story of time you know so there's someone here there's a person here a character whatever you want to call it narrating a time in which i'm hesitating because i want to use this you know, who knows? You know, a split second, timeless, eternity, who knows? There was no one there. Yeah. I, I, yeah. And yet everything is unchanged. Yeah. And um, I think one of the important things so, about this and what, and a point I would make that for me is very sort of essential to make the difference between this and the kind of transpersonal experiences that I've had earlier and why I think, you know, we're talking about. A kind of different paradigm with this to transpersonal experiences is that that sort of split second, second, two seconds, who knows, timeless or whatever, was then profoundly transformative. And the way I always put it, was profoundly transformative on the Richard, the Richard character, the Richard person, the Richard individual, whatever you want to call it, who then came back after that right
1: so where had he gone i have absolutely because no because idea. i tell you this well, thing that i tell you the well, thing that happens to me every night richard every well, night i lay down well. in a bed and this tim freak character he just disappears and then sometimes i'm someone else in a different world and then that just ends and then the guy on the bed comes back is that the right interpretation or is there a more sophisticated interpretation which allows us then to go, look, the reason that my past experience, or this past experience, let's use your language that I want to talk about, and the one that you're, you are talking about relates to Richard and the other one relates to Tim, becomes very obvious if you see it in a more, I, I want to say, a, a different way, let's call it.
2: I'm now less worried that this is going to become a, a love fest about how neither of us relate to what Rupert Spira teaches, um, because again, I mean, I couldn't, I, I couldn't be in a more profoundly different place in describing this from where you are. What I'm trying, very inadequately, to describe because it is impossible to describe, um, is in a different. I'll st- I don't want to go to in a different cosmos. I'll stick with as a m- million miles away. I, I know the experience you're talking the, about. I the, absolutely know it. Well, here, there can be no possibility of confusing that with the experience of going to sleep or dreaming. No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not comparing like the
1: experiences that. remotely. I'm talking about interpretation, Richard. I'm saying that those things, which are utterly different, completely different, but nevertheless, we interpret them they're dramatic in that the big difference that so we come, we go, but we don't say things like Richard came
2: back. See, it, see, let me, let me, so the way I would see all of these experiences now. Wait, can you just clarify that the, the thing about, we don't say Richard came well, you back. You said yes, that you said you had the experience and then Richard came back.
1: Yes. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a way. And of I said, it. where did he go? And the reason I said that was I suspect he didn't go anywhere. Because, and I think the, the the key is understanding the nature of consciousness. And it seems to me now, and this is the, one of the big shifts from the traditional Indian view, which I'd Im, imbued, is that consciousness is not some abstract present thing that everything happens in. But consciousness is, that's a reification, making a thing out of actually what's a process. And that actually all these different systems of which I'm one, are in relationship with each other. It's the one thing in relationship with itself in all these different forms. And every single system is processing its environment in all of these complex ways. And the way that a human being does it is through the senses and and then interpretation of the senses with a, a whole complex of ideas and ideational network. And that what consciousness is, is the ability to focus in that. So which is why now, if anyone's listening, you can try it for yourselves. You know, if you focus now on your left foot, it will suddenly, you'll be conscious of it and you weren't before. And if you focus on the back of your head, you're now conscious of that. So wherever you put your attention, you will be conscious of it. Now, most of the time, what we pay attention to is regular stuff. But sometimes, spontaneously, often, through things like meditation, sometimes, through psychedelics, perhaps, all sorts of things, but spontaneously, let's just say, the, sh- the attention shifts... Now, if the attention shifts really dramatically, which is what's happened for you, I suspect, and what definitely I'm, I'm talking about in the experiences I've had, what, you, what your consciousness becomes, what you are conscious of is simply this other thing. Now, if you become conscious of the ground of being, the oneness of all things, which is not anything in particular, that will fill you up. And that is Samadhi. And it's extraordinary when you to experience that. But Tim is experiencing it it's just that Tim is not conscious of Tim because his attention is elsewhere and that is similar to what happens at night when Tim isn't conscious of Tim because he's he's paying attention to his dreams or or to nothing but if so so what I think is happening here is that people are becoming conscious of something which is in fact timeless because there's nothing to change which is in fact non-dual because it has no particular qualities and then they come back and go oh Tim's back but Tim hasn't gone anywhere. Tim experienced that. It was just that I'm a conscious being able to experience that level of um, of reality. And, and it's, not, it's not something most of us experience all the time because it's actually a very emergent state. But nevertheless, when you do, it has a massive impact on you. And the mistake is the interpretation. And that's why I say to go I disappeared and then I came back is a strange way of seeing it, as opposed to I paid attention to something else and then my attention came back to paying attention to this.
2: Believe me, Tim, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, there is a gulf between us. Believe me, if the, um, again, I'll stick with the word experience because it's not good, but there's none better. If the experience was, you know, what you say, then that's how I would describe it. No. No, that's naive. No, that is that yes, shows a lack indeed. of your reflection
1: to not know I think that you I could think interpret it in other ways. I
2: think that's pretty patronising. No, say that, I
1: think I would say it to everyone. So I certainly would say, my, and I would uh, say it a to lack myself. Of my,
2: a lack of my um, reflection. I if mean, you, you know, any experience had, you can
1: interpret it in different ways.
2: Any can, I also, can I can I also say that the experience that I was talking about, which was this split second experience, had nothing to do with Samadhi either. Well, that's the word. Really nothing whatsoever. I mean, that, if you like, if you like, I, you know, that came later, if you like. Um, I don't mean to label the word, I don't
1: mean to label anything you've experienced with words that you don't want to label them with. I'm really happy not to use Indian words altogether. Well, all all that I'm suggesting is that there are, there and, and who knows which is right? You know, let, let's not even get into which is right the first step is just to be able to see there are always different ways of interpreting what occurs let's say so it's non-volitional and doesn't have a subject involved just that just a bit because that's the first step if you if you can make that step that's and that's true that's true just as much if i was talking to a Christian fundamentalist or when I, when I when i've done that it's like the first step is to find the thing the assumption they can't challenge and if you can challenge that then you can move into a world where there's other possibilities and 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 it, it any experience it seems to me well i just did i just created a different narrative and you've returned to no no it was self-evident what it was and i'm going was it
2: it was an it's experience different the difference between us is that you are described you know i'm descri- i'm talking about something you're choosing to name what i'm saying an interpretation which you're perfectly entitled to say i am labeling it a description and I feel like I'm going out of my way, actually, in what I'm saying, not to interpret it. I mean, I can interpret it. I have interpreted it. I've written books about this stuff, but I'm being very careful in trying to stick with um, description rather than interpretation. And I feel quite sure that you're not going to accept that. So, you know, go ahead and don't accept it. Uh, well, oh, uh, it's like, I'm, I'm, you know,
1: it doesn't worry me what you do really uh, at all. Um, But in terms of the conversation we're having, I want want to keep suggesting that when you go, yes, I would be happy to say there is no self, and you're saying that, you know, that's Richard in that room saying it based on the experiences that have some link to Richard, otherwise he would not be saying it. And that all needs to be encompassed within whether what you're saying makes any sense. So, I'll uh, just say
0: we have a tremendous amount of questions coming in. We get about fifty people watching live, and uh, just want to throw that in there. Well, we do can we, have some
2: questions if you like. Yeah, so
0: I was we, just uh, thinking. Do we have so, a kind of time
2: limit for this?
1: Yes, any, we are. You know, going no, no days. more than three days, Richard. No more Excuse
0: than three me. days. Yeah, I think three days will be. No, we'll, no we'll, honestly, ninety minutes. I was thinking. Okay, so, well, uh, maybe
2: we should take some questions then.
0: Yeah well we're 40 minutes in yeah so uh here we well, go i
2: think we may get bogged down otherwise in you know, uh, yeah
0: yeah uh unless you had any other things you wanted to say to wrap that part of it up the, the thing i well, would like to say right, to wrap up exactly. what i was
1: saying was simply to say that uh, that what i'm suggesting is that the experiences that richard's described and i could describe mine the same that pretty much um at and the experience we're having right now um, are are both real and that the idea that one is real and one is the illusion of the self is a mistake a profound mistake and that there is a way of understanding all of this that brings it all together and it's not something else something other it's actually everything is one thing and these very very emergent states actually impact and play into the journey of what, of the individual and that they're both really important and they, and they exist together. Just like, just like the obviousness of look around you, it's all one and it's all individual, just look. And the fact that there's three of us here and yet we're discussing oneness, but I don't know what Walter's going to say next. And that's, so there is this individuality, the one thing in relationship with itself as individual things, Uh, and that is its nature and seeing both of those is really important.
2: And what I say, maybe I'll just pick up that word understanding. I would say from my point of view, understanding in terms of talking what I'm talking about, I would say understanding has somewhere between very little importance and no importance whatsoever. And in saying that, I mean, what I mean really by that is I'm aware that there are many, many cases of what I would call seeing where there is very limited understanding perhaps none at all but certainly very limited understanding there are also cases where there is masses understanding you know it's like you know i've talked to people and particularly i've had perhaps somewhat hostile emails occasionally um, from people who seem to have, you know, digested the entire works of, you know, the Advaita canon, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they're very interested in putting me in my place because I haven't. Uh, So equally, it seems to me, there can be profound, vast and gigantic understanding and absolutely no seeing whatsoever. I agree completely with that. I mean, I'm kind of a little bit interested. I can't pretend not to be interested in understanding at all, because I write books and give talks about this stuff. So yeah. obviously there is some interest there, That yeah. really, you know, it's kind of fun to, you know, get our heads around ideas about this and get some understanding or whatever. It's a kind of fun game in a way, but it's really not the essence at all of what it is that I'm interested in here. I would agree. It's not the essence of it at all. All right, we've got some questions. Next question. Here we go. I might regret asking. I don't know what questions are coming, and I might bitterly regret asking for the questions to come. Now, who knows? Well, feel free to
0: uh, pass on any question. uh, Also, not
2: within the rules.
0: (laughs) This is. There's no rules. This is uh, boundless and free, and chaotic. Okay, here we go. Has your sense of morality, if you had any, shifted after non dual seeing? And that, that's to the panel. So, who, has your sense of morality changed after maybe, seeing? Non-duality? Maybe
1: we should answer for each other, Richard, see if we get it right. Because <laughs> I'm going to say that Richard's going to say, no,
2: it's nothing to do with any of that am i right oh right. okay am i right? <laughs> no, right No, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna answer for tim no sorry i uh, can you can you just ask the question again? sure i'm, very, I, I'm just I gonna think i'm gonna be interesting it. to see
1: a, if we if we understood each other's place enough a, to be able to say the other
2: point of view one of the, exactly one of the problems written. with this for me is i have a very brief attention span so by the time the question's been finished or Tim said a sentence or two or whatever I've lost complete track. something about morality has my sense of has
0: your sense of morality if you had any I like that how they add that and shifted <laughs> after non dual scene.
2: <laughs> um- I hope this isn't evasive because i'm going to say i'm you know i'm not sure um but i'm going to answer it in a slightly different way one of the things i mean I, i i was a sincere spiritual seeker for 30 years as i and i came across a lot of very 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 heavy morality and moralism in that Uh, in that time uh, particularly for some reason I'm not quite sure why amongst the Buddhists but never mind that and one of the things I found so delightful when I was finally dragged a bit reluctantly to see Tony again and I first heard this message in its full force or whatever was not an absence of morality this total lack of moralism that I've been so used to in the spiritual it felt so freeing you know, and I suddenly kind of thought, God, the constrictions on the spiritual path, you know, the kind of need to be good and do good and think good thoughts and, oh, God, what a prison. And so I did find um, the kind of complete absence of moralism very, very refreshing when I came across uh, this communication in the particular way that I did. And again... Uh, i'm kind of a bit stuck on whether my own morality has changed i mean i didn't murder people on the streets before i came across non-duality and i don't murder people on the streets now but i think i have a much more acute sense now of the kind of um critical shoulds oughts and musts of moralism when i come across it and i mean when i'm back in my therapy days i learnt, you know as some therapists say that you know, we should if, you know, avoid, if we can, hardening of the arteries and masturbation. I just feel that much more profoundly now. And I do remember in one of the early talks I gave, I was asked by somebody, not really asked, it was a comment during my introductory um, talk. Uh, she said, uh, but if what you're saying is right, then that means I can go and murder people on the streets. And I thought this was a a very strange interpretation, but it is one that I've sort of come across since. And uh, it is kind of quite fascinating how the mind can hear a communication that's saying there is no one who is actually doing anything or who is making the choice to do something and then turn that into a communication that says um, there's no morality, so it doesn't matter if you go and murder people on the streets. So something. Is very there, self-respon- is there this. self-responsibility, Richard, for you? Well, come on to that, maybe. Who knows? But let's, first of all, it also reminds me of something I don't quote very often, but Moody, I mean, I don't know, I heard... Moody quoted as having said said this. It may not have been original to him that somebody said to him, "Is it okay if I go and kill you know kill somebody on the streets?" And he said, "Well, you know, because it's, this is a dream. Does it you know is that okay?" And he said, "Well, yeah, it's fine if you don't mind being hunted down by the dream police and put in a dream prison and tried and you know put back in a dream prison." So there's a sort of kind of Wow. Strange, that's a horrible answer. Strange, strange, strange misapprehension. Horrible. Hang on. Now that is a, absolutely horrible. There's a sort of strange misapprehension. Wow. There's a strange misapprehension. That is you know, ugly. Misinterpretation of this um, communication. You know, C- the, just think about the, what you just said, though. Personalize it. I, I know perfectly well what I just said, Tim, in quoting Luigi wow. there. That's that's I think it's ma- I think it's making you know uh, it's to say, making, to say don't that not the, to quote Moie but it's making a point you know about the difference you know this is you know this lives its life and in the life it lives there are consequences that's yeah. what Moody but what was, was
1: interesting saying. is is that you've you focused on the consequence for the perpetrator. as that being the moral question. That's why it felt like really ugly thing, really ugly idea. And and I am interested to know if you say there is no self, there presumably can be no self responsibility. There can be no sense that you're responsible for anything, which is the very basis of any form of morality, that you are responsible for your actions. But if your actions are just happening, like your events just happened and you just happen to do whatever you happen to do, um, like Ramesh Baskar, who was one of the people that had an influence on me, just happening to have affairs with these young women at his retreats or whatever it was that, that happened, then there is, no, there is no
2: morality, is there? There's no responsibility. So, so, using, so it's just gone. Using another um, image that I and other people often use, which, again, I think you'll object to, I would say, you know, another way of explaining is, you know, this is a dream character. This is a dream character living in a dream world, and in that dream world, various things happen, including consequences, including morality arises or it doesn't, moralism arises or it doesn't. Things are done. Da, 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 da. I don't think that you like this description but for... It's very close you know, to for, the for way, line, it's, a, I would it's, a way again, it's a way, again, of trying to describe things. You know, there's a dream character here, just as there's, a, if you like, a dream character in Sleep. And this dream character performs actions, and those actions certainly appear to have consequences. And I think, you know, it would be pretty weird of me to sit here and deny that. I mean, I would never want to deny that. Well, I see it a bit differently. I think...
1: Um, uh, uh, the 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 experience we've been talking about for me, the non-dual experience is the, the experience of the ground of being, the thing that makes everything one, which is non-dual. It's not two because it's what makes it all one thing. It has no other qualities but existing. So when you pay attention to that, those are the experiences. I think that that the, that's where the non-dual experience arises. And there's no self. And there's no time. There's no anything, because it's the formless but it's not that's not actually the experience I'm really interested in um what the experience I'm interested in primarily is that it seems to me that, that the whole of reality is that that field of being evolving and I'm interested in the most evolved level of that feel of the particularity of things and I experience that as a as something greater than me I think the traditional word for it is God it's a difficult word because I don't mean by it anything like the religious meaning of the word is, but there is a presence which is incredibly loving and uh, beautiful to commune with. Um, and I won't go into how I see that because that's too big a picture, but what that does for me, what's interesting is, that, is that when I enter into that, mm-hmm. the over, well, that's the big love. That's why I use the phrase big love, this enormous love, which, embraces everything um but that doesn't it's an emotion so it doesn't last when the when the situation moves on but what I have noticed over the decades is that what there is something which 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 st- which builds in the character of Tim as he's as he's making this journey through life as he is evolving um which I would call a universal benevolence there's like this incredible wishing well to everything and everyone uh, whenever possible that stays and that's so I would say the morality <clears throat> the ethic, which has come from the whole, the journey for me is that universal benevolence, wishing well whenever possible to everything and everyone, but also grounded in the opposite because that comes from the oneness because everything is one, but also I'm individual. I am that oneness as this particular perspective on itself. And therefore my individual responsibility is how I respond to the one as Tim, and that's my responsibility. And so the what I want to bring to that responsibility is that universal benevolence. In and my the my attempt at being wise is to do my best to do that in
2: a, in any situation. So in what you said there, I mean the one thing that I sort of I, I, I like and you know as as a description, yeah, I'll go along with universal benevolence. Um Yes. Uh, (laughs) Emptiness and fullness. I often talk about emptiness and fullness and the natural question is, okay, well, what's fullness? Uh, The phrase I use is unconditional love, so that would be my equivalent. I think that is a part of this seeing, not the kind of initial seeing that we were talking about so much uh, previously, but ultimately, you know, when this seeing, you know, has taken place. uh, I think that's partly a kind of, well, benevolent shock. I mean, it's a benevolent shock. I think it often has people laughing when they see it, just the recognition of the beingness of unconditional love or the unconditional love of beingness, but it ain't either way you like.
0: All right. Unconditional love. Uh, we have a question about that. It says, what is unconditional love as it relates to the appearance of existence? Do you want
2: to add anything to what you were saying, Richard? Well, I'll have a go at that. Um, I don't really understand part of the question, as in as it relates to the beingness of existence or whatever it was. But um, I think unconditional love is... Astonishingly, and it is astonishing if we um, kind of look at the. Um, I'm going to use this word, this phrase again: the kind of you know the, the sort of the dream existence in which we live. It is astonishing then to have a, to have the realization, not that anybody has it, that this is an outpouring of unconditional love. Um, I say this a lot in meetings and I get a lot of pushback against it and I'm not surprised because if, you know, we focus on what is apparently happening in this, again, I'm going to use this uh, phrase, uh, dream world, it certainly doesn't look like unconditional love's so I have the utmost empathy in a way with the minds, with people and people with their minds pushing back against that and objecting to it. And I know in a way uh, what I'm often often resort to saying when I'm talking about unconditional love. I think sometimes I just use the phrase, well, on behalf of one, all I can do is profoundly apologize because it is a kind of an astonishing statement to make. I don't feel it can be justified uh, intellectually, but it is a description simply of what is seen, what's seen over and over and over again by apparent person after apparent person after apparent person. (laughs) And I was once um, asked the uh, question about this that I most remember. I was once asked in a talk in Germany, by a young woman who seemed very, very stern and very, I thought, rather disapproving. And she was hovering over me at the end of the meeting, actually. And she said, I just want to ask you one question. You say that everything is unconditional love. Does that include dog shit? And I said, well, of course it includes dog shit, because if it didn't include dog shit, it wouldn't be unconditional. And for whatever reason, whether it satisfies anybody else who's watching this video, it seemed to satisfy her. And to my immense relief, she burst into a warm smile and gave me a hug at that. But yeah, the nature of this, the fundamental nature of this is unconditional love. And if you challenge me to justify that, other beyond what I've already said, I will maybe simply burst into tears because I can't do it. It's simply a description that I make and many other people make as well.
1: Well, I, I yeah, I, I can definitely interact with that. Um, and I kind of want to catch it, but I also really want to ask you this, and I don't want us to get sidetracked from love because you know I'm a love junkie, but what is the difference for you, between a person and an apparent person. What is the difference?
2: Uh, The difference is very simple. The Uh difference is simply that something has happened and I can't describe or explain what that something is. Yes. Whereby the one who felt themselves to be simply a person. Yeah. That is seen through. And so when you see somebody else like the
1: girl and she's now an apparent
2: person no 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 no. i wouldn't really put it like that you just did (laughs) what you just did sorry you'll have to you'll have to clarify that too you just did put it like that that's why i
1: picked up on it so i what so so really what you're saying is that a, a person becomes an apparent person when they also know that it's all one or there is also the knowing that it's
2: all one. Oh, no, 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 that's no? not what you meant. No, no, I no. just meant... Okay, so why, what, what's the, the, the perspective. Got, there's, there's still the, an apparent person. From the perspective of what we're talking about, it wasn't just dis- from the perspective of what we're talking about, you know... Okay, all right, anyway, let that go. <laughs> this, this charming young woman, or if you like, apparent young woman, you know, it's yeah. it's just a throwaway. Yeah, yeah, these are interesting to pick up on. You know, Richard. importantly, you know the interesting, the interesting thing about that was the dog shit, actually. Okay. So, so I, I would suggest that, which also, in a way, kind of points very much to you know how the extent to which what we're talking about in is like is impersonal, because as a person, clearly that is not how I see dog shit. Clearly, it isn't. So As a, person, so, so a I, person, a character, whatever we want to. I would I would turn all that kind. Divine of... puppet. I'm going to settle on Divine Puppet. I like that one. Divine Puppet. Mm. <laughs> oh, God. I think that was I heard that. <laughs> st-
0: I heard that me down. <laughs> I,
2: yes, yes, Tim. Yes, a Divine Puppet. I heard that first from oh. Lathan Gill, so I always credit him with it, but I've no idea if it was his. He probably got it from somebody else. Yeah. See, I think these are really ugly ideas. Anyway, let's that go. The the we, so, we are we are. Well, I I I, I want to say at this point. I mean, just point, a, just actually, aesthetically, I thought, ugly. I thought at Glastonbury we were uh, miles apart. I think actually we're probably further apart than I thought. Well, but I certainly would, would like to turn
1: what you just said about love completely on its head, because I would suggest that that without doubt, I think you know this if you've read the literature and written about it you know that people have experienced throughout history uh that coming into states of oneness non-dual states whatever names different states perhaps but and there's this enormous love so and i've seen literally hundreds thousands of people have that experience so what is that now you described it as the outpouring. this is the outpouring of the whole thing, is the outpouring of, of unconditional love, and that's a traditional um, Indian view, which I've come to think is wrong, um, because it seems to me like the, the ground from which everything is arising, the ground which is the ground of being, which is non-dual, which is in this process, uh, in, which is in this pr- process of relationship, of duality and becoming everything, uh, has no qualities. It just has no, it's actually non-dual. It's formless. There's no qualities whatsoever. That's the point. And it is being, so it's a formless field, if you like, let's use that analogy, formless field of being, being informed by evolving information. And that, so what reality is, is a process of forming. So where does the love come from? Well, love is, love is something, Is it's an emotion. It's something we feel it's evolved, but that it's evolved to a very, very high level. And so that the whole universe has flowered into something which is unconditional love. Which is why, when you look at the, the universe, it's pretty rough out there. Not because it's come from that, but because it's flowered into that. So we can experience it, and that the unconditional or the 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 all embracing love, whatever that um, agape meta whatever, that is what happens w- when you see as an individual that you are one with everything and everyone. And the response, the feeling response, because that's what love is, is one of love. Enormous love. And as you go into it, you realize, ah, this is the most emergent level of this 14 billion year process. It's not where it's come from, it's where it's going. It's where it's got to. And that I think solves the riddle of how could the world be the way it is, given that, you know, the, just, just biology, just the, 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 the brutality of the whole thing if it's all an outpouring of love, which doesn't seem to make sense. And the reason I don't think eventually I came to, I had to push myself for years with that question until I went, no, it doesn't make sense. But it does make sense if you see it in an evolutionary context, then it then it really does make sense.
2: No, it doesn't make sense to the mind. Absolutely not. Uh, I think- well, it's not gonna make sense, sense to anything else, else is it? Say, <laughs> it's, either, it's either seen or it isn't seen. Um, the, the, the kind of the the evolving, I mean, I know this is another of your projects, you know, the kind of evolving um, universe, the sort of developing a new spiritual cosmology um, and so forth. Um, to me, again, it's, you know, it's just another complication, another story. It's, it's not something that interests me. Of course, obviously, it doesn't interest me, but... Um, So
1: I would like to. I think
2: think it's very appealing, you know, this
1: idea that somehow you can see things like it's coming. It's you can see it's all arising from unconditional love. I can't see that. You said that. You said it was a seeing. What you said it was a seeing, not the mind. Yes, it's
2: a seeing when I'm not there. It can't be seen when the person's there. Okay, but there is. When the person's there, then unconditional love is absent. I would say. Right.
1: Okay, but the person it, isn't
2: there. Then unconditional love may be seen. It's being seen,
1: but by no one.
2: Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, that is what I apologise. I'm just
1: trying to make make sense of what you're saying.
2: Well, I feel like you know, I mean, and there's the no and there's it, no it. there's it's no ideas involved in your you.
1: description, and so, yet, you, and yet, here's here's the problem with the epistemology. If you can distinguish what you're talking about from everything else, which you clearly can, because you keep going, it's not that, it's not that, it's not that and I agree with you in that in that respect, that you can distinguish it means you must be categorizing it differently. Otherwise, you couldn't distinguish it. So for you to be able to distinguish this type of non dual experience from an experience, which isn't a non dual experience, you must be categorizing it. And that's what ideas are. Now, the fact is, you're categorizing with a million ideas, everything all the time, you just don't know you're doing it, because it's all unconscious. And I think what, pe- what happens is people get confused between I'm not conscious of how I'm doing this with the idea that somehow I'm doing it directly with no ideas because you're not thinking because thinking's just imagining talking to yourself. That stops. You don't imagine talking to yourself. that has it, gone. But that doesn't mean that you're not still discriminating what you're experiencing because you're doing that all the time and you don't, you're not conscious that you're doing it so that that you are able to go that was an experience of oneness as opposed to or that it was an experience in which there was no self any of that categorization for it to be that experience and not another experience means there's an ideational content
2: it's just you're not conscious of it well again we're kind of you know across a divide here because i'm talking about something which can you see the challenge i'm actually issuing richard can
1: you actually understand what i'm saying can you see the problem at least
2: i can see the problem that you think is there no
1: no no no, no. can you see yeah, 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 yes yes okay, yes, okay yes. well that's what i'm saying yeah, but you absolutely. can you see can you see that if you can well, discriminate this from well, that can... you here's non-dual experience here's the experience of richard being richard that you can tell those two apart Means there must you must
2: be seeing a difference between. No, them. No, 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 that's absolutely absolutely not. So what you're I'm not saying. seeing a difference yeah. between. I'm them. saying virtually the opposite. I'm saying, I mean, as long as there is the experience, whatever the hell that means, of non-duality and Richard, then that isn't it because that's. No, No, right. no, 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 no. I'm no. talking about. I'm talking that, about that, the that the possibility the time, of the disappearance
1: of that. Yes, but the, you are, that you are able to know that it's the disappearance of it. That you can sorry, know that. Again. That you know it is the absence of something means you must be categorizing it in
2: some way. You just don't know you are. Well, there's someone here reporting on it, but what, what is being reported on is something that is seen when this and this are no longer two. Yes, but in the seeing of
1: it, you must be categorizing it, otherwise you wouldn't know you no, were seeing in
2: the, it. In the, to- in the talking about it, yes. I mean, I know you assert this, Tim, but I simply don't agree with you. Well, well, so well I, I'd maybe... like you to explain. I'd like to explain how you can tell it apart from
1: a different experience. If there's nothing to tell it apart from,
2: there is the disappearance, if you like, of I get that the one who experiences, and You're, then there is that. just whatever there is. Yeah. Or later
1: or there may
2: not be a report about it. Is it that? not
1: a simpler, more coherent explanation to say that Richard, who'd been studying spirituality all his life and moving into this, and then listened to a whole load of things that blew his mind from from, from Tony Parsons, took his attention, and instead of it being like, I can't get this, I can't get this, actually boom, oh, and discriminated reality in a way he'd never done before and went fuck because there was no no attention on richard anymore no attention on time anymore he discriminated the field of being the non-dual which he'd never been able to find before and suddenly he could and it was and it blew his mind and then his attention came back and he went
2: oh richard's back well two things come to me one is that's tim Freak's description You know, and it's not mine and I'm not taking it on. And the second is that I'm beginning to wonder whether the people watching this, if there are some, maybe we've chewed this one over enough and whether there's another question, please. Okay,
0: yes, we have plenty of questions. We have more questions than we can get to in the next 20 minutes. So uh, uh, anyway, the next one is about meaning and purpose. And uh, so let's see. It says, has your sense of purpose if you had any, that must be, that must be from the same person? Uh, been changed after non dual scene, and I'll just add to that. I do know Richard. Uh, I don't want to misquote, but something about hopeless, perp- hopelessness, purposeless, meaningless. There was uh, some kind of a mantra. Great mantra. Hopeless, yeah. meaningless. Hopeless meaning. Hopeless. Me-
2: hopeless purposeless meaningless something like that that was the great mantra that also came to me at a meeting of nathan gill so nathan is sort of figuring quite strongly in this meeting but i think you know i think i went first on the last one so maybe tim should on this one
0: rest in peace uh nathan gill okay yes go
1: ahead i don't know nathan he's he's, he's died I, I, um so it is their purpose so so for me the recognition of the oneness of all things and non-duality of things is a ground from which everything else is happening. So I think life is full of purpose. I think there is immense hope and I think meaning is an emergent quality of the universe Um, and that when we experience it is beautiful. Uh, but I think if we have that sense of being just an isolated individual, we haven't recognised the depth of our individuality that it reaches back into our universality so that when you go oh i'm the whole thing as tim in relationship with the whole thing it's a fundamental shift and that's what i mean by the shift from an individual to a individual and the level of hope meaning and and purpose is, is absolutely immense and i can go into the why the, all these
0: things are but i'd like to give richard a chance to to respond what was the question again okay it has to do. It has your sense of purpose changed after non-dual seeing? Oh, my sense of
2: purpose. Whoa, yes, probably. I mean, I was going. I, I'll start with that. With that mantra, it came to me as a meeting of Nathan Gill's. I, I mean, well, I say it came to me. It sort of burst from my lips spontaneously when Nathan was talking. It just popped into my head in view of what he was saying. Hopeless, helpless, meaningless. And uh, there was a friend of mine there who came up to me in the tea break and said, Richard, that was the most depressing thing I've ever heard anybody say. And I started to kind of apologise to them and said, no, no, it was wonderful as well. And I've kind of suggested it, I have to say, at least half jokingly, maybe more than half jokingly, as a mantra in many meetings, hopeless, helpless and um meaningless so there is something about i think again we we've talked earlier about um you know the possibility of this split second of awakening and it can produce profound changes and one of the profound changes which is fairly common is that people often find themselves in a state of despair feeling hopeless and feeling helpless and feeling that everything's meaningless and it sounds kind of quite dreadful in a way in a sort of existential way But I suggest that in some ways, particularly to someone who's been a very passionate seeker, it can actually paradoxically seem um, a tremendous relief to feel that everything is hopeless, I am helpless, and this is meaningless. And it is kind of relating to the question that's asked, I hope, because instead of meaning, we could say purposeless. So, you know, That it, the situation, if you like, the existential situation is hopeless. I am helpless uh, and everything is meaningless. It can produce a kind of exhale of relief and a kind of relaxation. And one of the things that, again, I won't bang on about for too long because I've written and spoken about it a great deal, is how we tend to think that hope is a positive thing and despair is a, a negative thing and... I think this can turn it on its head and make us realise that actually hope can be very cruel and very tiring and that actually despair, if there is genuinely a kind of sense of despair, it can actually bring about some relaxation because if despair is real, then after all, there's kind of nothing that I can do. And so paradoxically, there can be a kind of relaxation and relief in that And if I was saying this at a meeting, at a a live in-person meeting, I'd probably at this moment throw in this quote from uh, an English Buddhist. Relaxation is, I can't get the quotation exactly, relaxation. Relaxation is the key to Buddhahood, that's it. Relaxation is the key to Buddhahood right here right now keith downman i think his name is i love that quote i absolutely love it and it's not quite so obvious but it's a little bit paradoxical that if nothing else can produce relaxation despair sometimes can however i do feel i've dodged maybe the intent of the question which was more about me as a person or a character has it changed my sense of purpose in this case uh, rather briefly, because I've taken up a lot of time on the other thing. Now I'd say, yeah, absolutely. Yes, it has. Yes. Probably in the sense of taking things a great deal less seriously now, including the idea of an evolving universe. I'm very suspicious, by the way. I know that this isn't your thing, Tim, but I don't know, it may be a little bit um, associated with it. I'm extremely suspicious of the idea. I may, no, perhaps it is your thing. I'm very suspicious of the idea of evolutionary enlightenment and the kind of teachings and teachers that it sort of produces because it seems to me you know that once we've got the idea of evolutionary enlightenment and we have a teacher of such a thing then we can become entrapped in a kind of you know never-ending pathway or hamster wheel of endeavor which um, in some cases i think you know there's one particularly well known case but i'm not going to name him uh, on here you know can lead ken wilber <laughs> no 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 oh, you're, you're thinking no, of andrew no, collins no no, no 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 i've got to put that i've got to put that straight before i'm too uh, i genuinely i genuinely so was not thinking of ken wilber but there was I, certainly I did a, a whole meeting. high profile case i did a little film with um, with certainly um, kind of exploited that philosophy um, pretty hard, yeah. So, so, my, my sense i
1: drawn to would be my sense, Richard, would be that with with Andrew, um, who after his his dramatic fall from grace, I did a little had a conversation with. Um, my sense with Andrew, and I, you know, this is not anything I haven't said directly to him, is that the evolutionary part of what he's exploring is incredibly interesting, and mostly from Ken, but it's interesting. Um, the mistake I suggest to him is that he's still trapped in a triad of really bad ideas from Indian religion. And the triad is the idea of enlightenment, that there is a thing called enlightenment, the idea that there is a ego that needs to be that wants to stop you being enlightened and must be got rid of, and the idea that there's a guru who's already experienced this who can help you defeat your ego and become enlightenment, enlightened and i think it's that triad which is the reason for india being dominated historically and still by cults because they're, they're a perfect way of generating cults and we even brought an awful lot of that across to the west and i embraced a lot of it when i was younger but i think that's the problem he's got not the evolutionary bit it's the idea that there is a place to arrive and uh, oh. the, it's the absence of the self which will get you there. And somebody who's already got there can show you. I think those are the things
2: which which cause it to be so disastrous. I think there may be two things that you said in there that I agree with. One is, again, I might have misunderstood, but I would cer- certainly say, you know, that the idea that there's an ego that has to be got rid of is a mistake. And there's a guru who can get you there is a mistake. So if those are two things you said, then I agree with that
0: beautiful all right here's another one how useful do you think non-duality one-to-ones are given that there's no self and nothing to do,
2: <laughs> well, uh, do. either one of you can take that one. well i do non-duality one-to-ones not very often um fairly rarely but as when when if people really want what i will do one um Uh, So what were the two things
0: again? How useful? Oh, given uh, how useful? Well, obviously not useful at all. Non-duality one-to-ones, given that there's no self and nothing to do.
2: Oh, right. So just one question. Uh, Well, obviously not useful. They can't possibly, in what way could they possibly be useful? Except maybe in a relative, you know, in a kind of relative kind of uh, divine puppet, uh, character of Richard, character of... Fred, who's asking the questions, on that level, they can be useful in the sense that, um, for example, feedback I've had might be that they have clarified some questions for the mind. That's one thing, fair enough. Another thing is um, they have clarified some um, concerns about feelings that are going on for example a collapse in despair into despair that's another thing and a third thing that comes to me is that often a kind of um, breakout into this kind of uh, interest never mind the seeing can be disastrous for relationships so there may have been a complete breakdown in a relationship as a result of this and the person to whom I'm speaking indicates that, you know, it's been kind of helpful in clarifying what's been going on there, what's been happening and um, some understanding of that. So on that kind of level, it could be helpful. But in terms of what we're really talking about here, you know, seeing, apprehending the possibility of there being an opening to this one. Well, no, obviously not. Of course, not helpful. And again, I have a deep, deep distrust of teachers or whatever they may call themselves who might make a claim that a kind of one-to-one with the divine presence of Fred or Peter or Richard or Robert, whoever it might be, if they make some sort of claim that this might somehow bring about what it is that we're talking about here, I'm extremely suspicious of that. So my answer, Walter,
1: would be, the way I want to answer it is to say this. As far as we understand it right now, and we've got lots of good reasons to take this seriously, 14 billion years ago, the oneness of being had arisen as hydrogen. That was it, a bit of helium. 14 billion years later, there's you and me and the person who asked that question, which has arisen through that process, and is now conscious, and is looking at the universe consciously taking in and having a conversation about what it is and going, have you experienced this? Have you experienced that? Have you seen it's all one and how able to have that to me, your individuality is utterly sublime. It is so important. It that evolutionary process, which you are, you're not, you are it. It's happening to you every day. It's happening to you now, as you're listening, as you're thinking about ideas that I'm saying, Richard's saying your own ideas, judging what, what works for you, what doesn't, your psyche, your soul, psyche means soul is evolving. It's happening right now. There's no question about it. I don't think. And I, my, my attitude is I'm, I'm here for a short period of time and I'm going to die. And I'm here with all of these other individuals who are exploring this. And they're all expressions of the same oneness. And anything I can do, which might help sometimes it seems to, I, I generally try and do it. And if we keep doing that with each other, I think we'll, this journey will continue to unfold in this absolutely extraordinary way, because far from it being something, I don't see it in like a uh, nihilistically or it's not like an irrelevancy or an appearance or this is it. You are real. Your individuality is as real as it gets. The oneness, which is real, has arisen as you, which is real. And you are that oneness in relationship with itself, which is real. And it's come from a level in which it's just formless, which is real, to a level where it's the whole enormous universe, which is real. And you are relating to that and doing your best to, to make the most of it. And we need to help each other do that.
0: All right. Well, we only got about five minutes left. I got three questions I think are really good uh, that I'm picking out of the lot. Um, Thanks to everyone
1: who put in a question. It's a real, it's, yeah. always, it's always an honor when people ask questions to to engage. It's a really lovely thing to do.
0: I feel tossed, which, which one? One's about the fear of death. Ooh. One's about, uh, uh, is this a causal? I know Richard has said this uh, is a causal. I don't know what Tim's <laughs> thoughts on that cause and effect are and uh, oh the other one was uh, if this is perfect and whole and complete why is my life such a mess mm. uh, I don't know if we can get well maybe can we do a rapid fire and hit all if three you want so to
2: I- do, if you want to do the <laughs> causal one my uh, contribution to that will take about four seconds I don't know about Tim we could do that one if you like and then mm. move on to one of the others great is it a cause? What I presume by it we mean the seeing that's being talked about here. Is it a causal? Yes.
0: Yeah. The shift. Let's say. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, is yeah.
1: the shift happens a causally? Uh, you no. Know, I think everything is is the interaction of the one with itself, and every shift is coming through that interaction. I think it's a multi-level causality in which the very ground of of, of things in physics and right up to the psyche are all interacting with each other, and that what causes the shift. Um, often is unknown but actually in most situations that I see you can trace it to somebody having read a book maybe not at the time it was a month later a year later someone having listened to somebody talk somebody having heard it usually over and over and over again without really getting it and then suddenly bang it will just fall into place. And then like happened to me with the um, I'm not a person, that profound experience for me that we started with, suddenly you shift and then you're experiencing reality from a different perspective because you're ideating it in a new way and that
0: dramatic shift has, has a huge effect. All right, next one. Do you fear death? What do you think happens when you die? Well, take that one again, might not
2: take me very long I just say that you know what happens uh, at death is unknowable and rather obviously so Uh, but and but and because obviously death appears to be highly problematic you know we are very good at creating extremely multifarious and complicated and complex stories about it but it's unknowable I'm not sure it's unknowable any
1: more than a lot of other things which are very difficult to know that we've managed to penetrate into, like the foundations of matter are pretty pretty far out from our perspective, but we've been able to penetrate them and to show that we have by getting on the internet and having Zooms and all the things that it's made possible. Um, so my current speculation would be that uh, uh, that the experience people have had around death. I, I worked with people who were dying for a period of my life. I've been around death a lot. I've studied near-death experiences in, in some great detail. Um, so it looks to me like what happens, my the, too big to explain how I justify this, is that the experience you're having right now of two realms or two types of experience that you're experiencing sensations on the one hand and you're also experiencing the psyche or the soul which is an imaginal domain you're imagining talking to yourself you dream at night all the the visions you might have in psychedelics or shamanic practices anything there's a huge domain of the imaginal which you can explore um, and it looks like what happens is that when the psychobiological system fails biologically it's able to to carry on and function in uh, uh, in the psyche so that's that level of reality that you're in right now seems to continue and go deeper
0: all right and the last one um says yeah if this is perfect whole and complete and unconditional loving why is my life such a mess uh either one you can
1: take that that, that'll be
2: I took the last two first, so I'll And okay, no, I'm happy two to do days. it.
1: I'm happy to do it. I just didn't want to be impolite because I spoke last. Um, I, I don't think it is whole incomplete, or perfect. Or I think it's evolving. And that's why. It's because you can see it could be better. And that I can see it could be better is one of the impetuses that we make it better, that we make it better for ourselves, for our children, for the evol- whole evolutionary process.
2: okay uh yeah I can't quite remember the terms that were offered at the start of the question if it's this that and the other but I don't think I've ever used those terms uh, so I haven't said that um why is your life what was the phrase he
0: used about his life he or she uh they said that uh, if this is whole and complete and perfect why is my well, life such a mess
2: a mess right. I mean I don't know other than to say that most of our lives are, um a mess some at least some of the time and for some of us a lot of the time and unfortunately for a few of us all the time um and this is a question where to be honest if it came up in a you know in person meeting or whatever i would probably step outside the bounds or strict mm-hmm. non-duality communication i mean i have done this these are the sorts of questions that come up and i would you know suggest that maybe if you are experiencing your life as a mess. There are some practical things that, you know, maybe could be done about those and what those practical things are. You know, I mean, a a, a sort of sophisticated audience that's watching this and so would probably already know what many or most of those are. But it's like if it's something like that and there's an impulse to take action, then take action. That would be the sort of sensible thing to do, you know, whether it's see us see a therapist or go for a walk in the woods or you know da, da, da. i know that sounds a bit banal because we're shores of ta- time i don't mean it to sound banal it's just that on that level uh talking on that level you know there are things hopefully that we can do
0: so Places, people from you whom you
2: can find us find support yeah
0: you wouldn't say it's whole and complete Well, you just don't use that phrase. I mean, do you agree? No, I'm
2: not saying it isn't. I just don't use that phrase. It's not a phrase that sort of rifling through what what I laughingly call my sort of uh, lamentable memory. I don't think that's the sort of phrase I'd use. No. But I mean, I've got no objection to it. That's the terms of the question. I think that's what I do want to come in on this because I've just thought about what the implication of this might be. I suppose I realise I can't actually answer that question unless I know what this is. So if I assume that by this we mean the everyday and so forth, well, no, I certainly wouldn't describe it as like this, as like that. I mean, fairly self-evidently, um, you know, there's kind of pretty big this is an expression of that you said this is an expression of unconditional love you said earlier i might well have said it's an expression of it yeah but it's fairly obvious that that expression embraces everything including as i've said before dog shit yeah and shit happening in our lives as well of course
0: well i want to thank you both for being here i want to thank everyone watching on youtube and everyone that sent in questions Again, we'll hold up these two. Uh, I'll give you another opportunity to say whatever you want, and then we will say goodbye. So, Tim, why don't you go first to remind people where to find you and. What you got oh, coming you, you up? Can,
1: you can find me by just Googling Tim Freak F-R-E-K-E, because it's such a weird name. You'll find me. Um, and uh, there's loads of stuff and videos, and re- there's a retreat coming up that like I mentioned. There's a meeting, a, a community of, that meet up and discuss these things and have experiential mainly um, every Sunday night. But the th- that, So that's that. And I want to say thank you to you, Walter, for, for, for holding us here and for everyone who turned up. But I also want to say a big thank you to Richard, because I remember the last time I think that we might have been one of the last times was way back was I was on a stage with Tony and I was really hoping that I could have this conversation with Tony and I was quite with Tony Parsons and I was really surprised because he always struck me as very playful and um, was that he just wasn't up for it he just wasn't up for playing and it was like we weren't gonna get into it and it was like it, it was like oh that's a shame It'd been really interesting to really try and work this out so I just wanted to say thank you for being up to have the conversation and for being up for uh, the the level of questioning that we've engaged in it doesn't always happen
2: and um for me uh yes rather than reminding you of when and where i may be speaking in person or on zoom uh just go to my website or sign up to my meetup group or something like that find me on on google Uh, i haven't been doing zoom meetings for a very long time but it's possible that they may be starting again in the new year if you're interested the main thing however is read that damn book read confessions of a secret because if nothing else uh you should get a few laughs out of it and who knows you might come out of it understanding uh what consciousness is or isn't and why there's no free will possibly or not And apart from that, again, yes, big thanks to everybody. Tim for being up for this. I still think it's a shame we didn't have a video camera at the original event, but I think this has sort of run it a fairly close second. So thank you, Tim. Thank you, Walter, for offering to do this and possibly not knowing what it was you were getting into. And uh, thank you for everybody who's been watching. I hope you enjoyed at least some of it, at some
0: part of it. Thank you very much, that was wonderful. Appreciate your time. Take care, bye everybody.